0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to Handling Today's Consumers in Real Estate with your host Evan Russell, broker owner of ERA Russell Realty Group. He is a 10-year licensed broker who has successfully coached and trained over 500 agents and turned his independent brokerage into a $50 million company before joining one of the top real estate franchises, ERA. Evan delivers his real-world real estate experience to you, the real estate agent. You can follow Evan on the Twitter feed at WorkWithEvan using hashtag AskEvan. For all your questions, concerns, comments, ideas, or anything else real estate related. Hey, what's up
1: guys? It's been a minute. How are we doing today? Looks like the phone calls are still jumping in here. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I did something a little bit liberating today. I went from 610 friends on Facebook to 382 so uh, I'm going to keep going. It's not even I'm cutting people off I don't that I don't like. It's just people that I don't know. Like I don't know any of these people. I'm going through and I'm thinking, you know, who even are these guys? So uh, it's a good project. You should go through it because it also gives you an opportunity to think, oh, yeah, I haven't talked to that guy in a minute. Or, yeah, oh, yeah, I wonder how he's doing. Or, oh, yeah, I wonder how that guy's doing. And it gives you kind of a uh, a refresh of kind of maybe going through your your sphere of influence, your role, that's your database. Uh, that sort of thing by kind of going through there and kind of seeing who's in there and thinking, oh, yeah, I haven't spoken to that guy or, oh, yeah, I haven't spoken to that guy. or I wonder how he's doing or whatever. So it's a good kind of refresher and, and clean out the people that you don't really have any idea who they are that you just kind of pick up along the way, uh, which some of these guys have 1,800, 1,900 friends. I mean, the Facebook algorithm only not let you see that. Uh, you know, one person I saw has 2,800 friends. I mean, geez, you're not going to get much accomplished with that turns into just total self-promotion. I want as many people to like me so that they can see my stuff. Uh, you know, when I post it, and I don't really give a crap about their stuff. So, so I'm gonna give you. A, I'm gonna a little longer today. So settle in. I'm gonna tell you just a couple, three stories, um, four stories maybe, on what's uh, on on my real estate doings. I think it's important for a real estate coach, broker, manager, leader, whatever you you tag me as, to not only uh, understand the real estate business, but also to be engaged in it so that I can understand the challenges and the troubles that you guys have on the street and have kind of a hands-on approach and a a relatively uh, recent experience and know what the buyers are saying and know what the sellers are saying. So uh, I've actually got four things on the plate right now, one way or the other. Uh, I'm going to go through each one of them because they've all been kind of interesting over the last week. And I want you just to hear kind of my story in real estate. What I, what we've been doing, Carol and I have been doing, um, Nicole and I have been doing, Molly and I have been doing, um, and then of course the integration with uh, with Rick Digger and the lead flow. But let me let me just give you uh, you know number one. Okay, we're gonna go with the easiest to the hardest. We're gonna I don't know if you want to take notes. Kind of fun to take notes. The first one we're gonna talk about is Chestnut Street, uh, or we'll just call it North Reading. The second one we're gonna talk about is um, uh, Framingham. Uh, the third one we're going to talk about is Boxford. The fourth one we're going to talk about is um, Groveland. All right. So we're going to go in that order. So I, I met with a couple. So let's just start with with Chestnut. I met with a couple in in uh, just in November. Uh, they called. We I I actually met with them uh, Thanksgiving week. You know they have a house to go to in Kent, in the Carolinas. They're building. They actually bought the model house, so it's not quite ready yet. So we had a good conversation uh, in December. Uh, they circled back in January. You know we decided that we'd wait a minute uh we We went ahead and uh and let the Easter holiday go through, took our time, made some good pictures, created the best possible marketing platform we could. uh we launched it on a you know on a Tuesday or well uh, basically the Monday after Easter, I believe, and we had a you know a person come in the very first person, even when I was showing another agent just in the office previewing the place. Uh, the buyer came in right away, big price point, 680, and, uh, you know, and locked it down the very first person. Now, some people would say, why didn't you have the open house? Why didn't you let the week go through with showings? Uh, why didn't you, you know, let the market, you know, kind of go, uh, you know, let the market dictate kind of where you're at? Why would you take the very first offer? Well, my theory is kind of this, and this kind of goes into my teaching on on this property. The sellers don't necessarily price the house to have a bidding war, right? They price the house at the maximum they want to price it for, right? And if they get that money, they should be happy. That should be the answer. So let's 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 finish that. Then I'm actually going to bring in a piece of land that I worked with on the weekend. So the first person comes in, they, they take the house off the market, and I get a little, I don't want to say criticism, but I get a little questioning within, within our team here. Why didn't you let it go through the open house? Why didn't you? you know, have a bunch of buyers go through. And I'm thinking to myself, why would I not just take the bird in the hand at the price they wanted to sit around through the weekend, have a bunch of unqualified people, nosy neighbors, dirty sneakers, other agents come in just to get into, just to get a, you know, an offer that's going to be satisfactory to them. Why would, why would we hold that? If the first person comes through and says, I'll take it, you don't then say, well, gee, let's see if we can get higher for it. Right. That's not, that's not good business. If you, put, you know, if you put something on sale and someone comes in and buys it, they don't say, well, geez, they're buying pretty quick. We should raise the price, right? Although some people probably think they should do that. Apple over the years has certainly done that. They've gone from $200 a phone to $1,200, right? So then you take that philosophy. So we lock that place down. Um, you know, example one, why didn't you let it hit the market? Why didn't you do the open house? So Why didn't you do all, all offers on, on Tuesday at 6? Why didn't you go down that road? Well, because we got what we wanted right away. So why would we be greedy and why would we be nasty to the buyer and say, you know what, you showed up right away, you gave us what we're looking for, but, you know, we're going to hold out and try to get better, right? That doesn't sit well. That's not good negotiating tactics. And if the sellers are good with the, with the offer they got, then take it. So I dealt with a piece of land on the weekend. My developer called me. I just remember this one. De- developer called me, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock on Saturday, something just hit the market at, you know, a 125 price point. And I said, okay, let's write it up. We wrote it up at 126, and we wrote that up, uh, you know, at about, I don't know, 1130 or 12 or so, and we put a 5 o'clock deadline on it, which is reasonable. It's tight for Saturday, right, 5 o'clock deadline on a Saturday, you know, kind of tight, kind of aggressive. So the uh, I called the guy, and I said, okay, we're going to give you over asking price. It's within an hour when it hit the market. You know, can we get this done today? And he says, sure. So he calls his seller, and a seller says, no, you know, because we put a 5 o'clock deadline on there, they want to wait till 5 o'clock. And my guy's like, okay, whatever. So sure as shit, you know what comes in? Another offer, right? Of course it does. So then we, we, we counter back, you know, a little bit, and uh, we end up losing it just for, you know, a very short amount of money over what we put over it at, at 7 o'clock at night. So if the seller wanted more than 125, why didn't he put it up at 125? Now, I understand you, you try to do the best for your seller, but in, in the coaching aspect of things, why would you not price the house at the most aggressive point that you could, right? Because here, even at 125, he wanted to start a bidding war on that land. He took it off the market at 7 o'clock on a Saturday. So it's not like he let it sit for a week, right? Let people do their diligence, let people drive by. He took it off the market right away. For only a few thousand more than what the guy asked for, right? Only because two offers came in Saturday morning. We had two aggressive investors. But it seems kind of funny to me that if you put a price, a house. Uh, excuse me. If you put a, a piece of property on the market at a particular price, you're ultimately thinking, oh, gee, maybe we'll get a bidding war and get more than we want. Well, if what you put on the market for is not the price you want, then why not? Now, in the case of of North Reading, in the case of Chestnut. You know, you, you, you put it at the top of the market, but you always got to be aware of the appraisal, right? You certainly don't want to get a higher price and have the appraisal come in south. That's not going to do any good for us, right? Okay, so let's move down Let's move down to Framingham, okay? Framingham is a townhome. Townhome, uh, in that particular development, uh, the days on market on that townhome are about five, six, or seven. They've gone very quick. Let's say less than ten. All right, we have some, we have some high comps. We have some low comps. So what do we do? We price it the highest we possibly can, right? We always want to shoot for the moon with a seller. We don't want to lowball and say, yeah, put it at 300, I'll sell in a day. No, let's put it at 330 and see if it takes a week because it's worth that 20 or 30 or 40,000 bucks to take a little bit extra time. So the first open house comes and goes. The first month comes and goes. We get a bunch of showings, a bunch of kind of, you know, whatever feedback. Uh, then we do a little bit of a price do- reduction. The second month comes and goes. The third month comes and goes, so we're sitting here at 90 days with this townhome, which, you know, okay, need a little bit of wallpaper, need a little bit of updating, no doubt about it. It wasn't by, it was no means, uh, you know, new construction. Uh, it's very good shape, just a little bit dated on the inside. So you, so the coaching piece comes in. How do you talk to a seller that's not drastically overpriced? He's not certainly underpriced, but not drastically overpriced. And how do you explain to them? Sorry, man, don't know why, don't don't know why anybody's not offering, don't know why people aren't coming through, don't know why we've had or you know we've had a bunch of appointments and no offers. I don't, I don't, you know that's a difficult conversation to have. So what you need to do with a seller who doesn't sell right away is you have to be patient with them. They have to be patient with you, and you have to establish yourself good communication from the jump, so he doesn't come back and say, Evan, what the hell are you doing for me? you got to say, Mr. Seller, this is who came through today. Here's the feedback. This is who came through this week. You have to constantly be in communication with them and keep, and keep, you know, assuring him that the home is in all the visible places it needs to be and is being marketed as aggressive as possible. And you have to do that by continuing to communicate with them. Having a house on the market for 90-something days in this market is tough. Now, that particular development wasn't FHA-approved. Right, which uh, obviously hurts the buying pool, right which means you've got to have a conventional loan to buy the town home, right It's in a pretty good location. The association fees are pretty high, almost at 500 bucks. doesn't include heat, which is, which is tough. But sooner or later, like last week, we get, a, we get a ration of offers. We actually have three or four almost the same time, and they almost all were exactly the same. right So days on market does have a value and some truth to it. Right, the sun starts to come out, the snow starts to melt. You know, people get off of vacation or whatever they're doing, and then they they go back out. That's why they call it the spring market. There's certainly more, uh, uh, you know, people sticking their hand up saying I'm interested, than there were, you know, 65 days ago. And we proved that by a condo or a townhome that's sitting on the market for 90 some days, it gets four offers in a week, all almost identical. So, of course, we, you know we pick the right one and we lock it down, and that's under agreement. But we've had eighty five days of kind of angst, like how come no one's coming? how you know you had twenty people through the open house. Why is nobody offering? If people don't like the wallpaper, we'll just offer you know in respect to the wallpaper, right? So you have the theory where it sells right away in the in the theory of North Reading, then you've got the side where it sits for 90 something days. And as a good salesperson, as a good real estate agent, you have to know how to handle both, right? Now, let's move up to Boxford. Boxford is a referral. We gave him a little bit of discount on the, on the commission. He sent us some pictures. The pictures weren't, were kind of grainy. So we, we, you know, I ordered you know, a professional picture to be done. The seller uh, wasn't necessarily excited about that. I'm not sure why because it was our dollar and that house has been on the market for just about three weeks with no phone calls and no showings. But guess what happens? I get an offer on the place. So I'm talking to our team, and I said, well, who's this offer from? And, and we're like, well, she's not on the styling sheet, so we're not sure. It's an offer that's sight unseen. Not only is it sight unseen, if you don't know what that means, that means they didn't even look at the property. They just saw it on the MLS, looked at the pictures, and made an offer. So not only did the offer come in, but the offer's contingent. So I call my I call my sellers and say, "Hey, guys, you know, I got an offer for you." And they're like, "What? No one even looked at the house." And I was like, "I know. I think they came through the open house, but come to find out they didn't even look at the house at all. So not only that, but the offer's a hundred thousand dollars light, six fifty house, and we got a five twenty five offer on a person who's never seen the place. So now, what you have to do is you have to handle that difficult, you know delicately. Because they haven't had any showings in three weeks. So we know that there's a little bit of a price issue to begin with. But then you have an offer a 100000 light of a person who didn't even see the place. So you can think, and, you know, investor tipping their toe in the water, you know, things like that. Right? So you have to call Mr. Seller and say, listen, she's not trying to insult you per the email. She's just trying to open a dialogue. So my seller comes down a little bit. They came up a little bit. Now we're still $100,000 away. Right, so we have to know now what we have to do is we is that offers probably not going to come to fruition, and we're going to go you know going to continue in the market, but now my seller's got a little bit of an appetite. Well, this person, well, we had an offer. How do we have an offer with no showings? So it's going to be very difficult to go back to that seller and say, listen, man, we got to have a price reduction or we got to make some changes, and he's going to say, why we had an offer, right? We had an offer at this price point, so it almost backs you in a corner to to to, you know, do what you call your vendor manager or work with your seller when he when he gets that kind of false positive. Positive is someone liked your house enough to not even look at it and put an offer in based on the pictures that we took that you didn't want us to take. But now we have to, like I said, now we have to go back and say, you know, only six people through the open house. We're probably not going to do that again. No private appointments. We, we put, the, you know, we put directional signs up. We put riders up. We have every piece of marketing in place possible. It's going to be very tough now to go to that seller and be like, Listen, we may have had an offer, but we've had no showings. So we need to kind of do something, you know, with the price. It's going to be a very difficult conversation to have, and frankly, it's probably not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. So you, so just to recap, you've got right away, why didn't you bidding war? You've got 90-plus days in the market with several offers. Then you've got something on the market for three, you know, three, four, three weeks with an open house, plenty of good marketing, with an offer sight unseen. Not easy. You guys getting my point? And we've got the land that we offered over full price and lost. Are you guys kind of getting my gist here? This isn't an easy business, right? So from my perspective on this business, you have to know how to work all the different angles. For the sake of time, uh, you know, I can get into uh, um, uh, uh, Groveland. We can get into Groveland. Groveland is new construction. They bought the house at 680. They decide they don't want to be there anymore. They want to sell the house for 740. Okay? Let's just do the math. 680, 740, six months living there. The rest of the development isn't done yet. It's on, you know, we've had an address problem there. It's physical address 6. It's actually lot 4. The house next to it is physical house 8, lot 6. So my home has been confused on Zillow. It's been confused on Trulia. It's taken a Ph.D. level to figure out that we should move that house from six, number six house to number four house. All right, these are all difficult scenarios, right? They're all difficult scenarios. But number one, as a broker, if I'm not going through those to keep my skills fresh, it's difficult to pass on knowledge to you, right? So in hindsight, right, we have to look at those, at those scenarios. I guess not in hindsight, in present day sight, but in hindsight, we have to know how to handle those particular, you know, scenarios, those particular challenges, you know, those, those particular conversations that say your guys just bought the house at 680, how on earth do they think it's worth 740? You have to have those conversations that don't say, um, I don't know, that's just what they want for it, right? That's not how. It, that's not the right answer. Why is the condo and framing have been on the market so long? The days on market are very low. Why has it been on the market 90 days? Right, you have to be able to answer those questions, right? Why should I drop the price if I got an offer? You have to be able to answer those questions. I have a buyer meeting tonight at eight o'clock, right? First time home buyer, young couple, friends of mine. They're going to come in tonight, and I'm going to tell them you're going to get outbid, you're going to get out home inspected, right? You're in a, you're in a very difficult price, and I'm going to say it's the best way I can. You're in a very difficult price point, okay? You're going to be in the three three fifties up in Haverhill, Methuen area where the world is. It's going to be a nasty process, right? Because everybody's looking for housing up there, especially at that price point. So we're going to have the, the, the truth conversation tonight. You can't get discouraged. you got to have thick skin. You're not going to find your dream home, so to speak, because you're going to buy what's available that you like. So understand that. And I'm going to say that in a very polite way. But you have to know how to deliver that to a young couple without discouraging them, right? You have to tell them right away, you're probably going to get outbid on a home or two, right? You're probably going to have to offer over asking, right? It has nothing to do with my commission or my ability to get a deal. It has to do with the volatility of that first-time homebuyer market in that price point, right? Now, the houses we've talked about with me, Chestnut was six. Uh, Graham Way, uh, uh, Boxford and and Groveland are both, you know, well over six. So we're not talking about first-time homebuyer here. Uh, 3 50 down in Framingham is still kind of high for a condo down there, right? That's on the high side of condos. But the couple that we're going to take to to Haverhill Groveland, you know, they're going to they're going to they're going to run into some nastiness, right? They're going to run into some 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 pieces of information that they're not going to like, right? They're going to be they're going to be asked to waive the home inspection. They're going to be asked to move their dates up. They're going to be asked to put more money in, in earnest about it. They're going to be asked to do things they might not be un, they might be uncomfortable with. So what's the best way to get ahead of that? Explain it to them. This is what's going to happen during our journey. You're going to send me five properties to look at. We're only going to be able to get into three or four, and this is why. Right? There might be agents that will show the house with us. There might be families that will sit in the house when we walk through. There might be dogs. There might be dirty diapers. And when you get a, home, when you get a house that you are like and we do win the bid and you do you know get an accepted offer on there, you have to understand there's going to be home inspection issues. The inspectors are paid to find something wrong. You have to explain all that stuff. So you take all this and you, and you, and you say, oh, geez, heaven sounds really difficult. This business, from my perspective, is difficult. It is hard. It, is, it, it might not be difficult. It's in-depth. There's a lot of layers to it, right? There's a lot of pieces to it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, everybody would sell 50 houses a year. It's not easy. And if you just think back to the five or six examples I just gave you, every one is complicated. And then you put that on top of your family, you put that on top of your full-time job, you put that on top of your car payment, you put that on top of coaching baseball, and you get a very stressful lifestyle, right? So what I'm here to tell you is from my own experience, which is what these are, right, you have to channel. You have to, you know, practice. You have to know what you're going to say. You have to understand the – did you guys know – I'm not a Patriots fan, but did you guys know that the Patriots are already practicing? They had off-season workouts or whatever last week or the week before or it's coming up. They're already practicing. Do you know the first Patriots game is in the middle of September? And it's May or just about May. And they're already practicing. How do you think you get good at at working buyers from follow-up boss? How do you think you get good at putting people in zap? How do you think you get good at talking to sellers, right? You have to practice, guys. You have to know what you're going to say. You got to have your scripts and your dialogues or whatever you want to call them on the tip of your tongue ready to roll. You have to get in, get your hands during these scenarios and know how to talk to a guy whose price is too high but had a, a $100,000 offer gives them is, is is false positive. You have to know that, right? You have to know how to talk to the buyers. You have to know how to talk to the co right? The co are just as difficult, right? Cause they're valid. They're fighting for their client. You're fighting for your client. They're, they're snippy. You're snippy. Everybody's snippy, right? The world's snippy. You have to know how to talk to them. You have to know how to explain to your buyers why you can only get into three or four of the houses that you plan on Saturday or more importantly, why you can't take them out on Saturday because you have a baseball obligation or you have a softball obligation or you have a work obligation and not make them feel like you're not making time for them. So they don't then go to the next buyer agent and say, yeah, that guy didn't have any time for me, right? We have to understand that. But from my perspective, as I I continue through, now most brokers don't practice. Most brokers sit on their ass and they put their feet on the desk and they collect revenue, right? They collect an action or they hire somebody to, to, to do this. Right? As much as I preach to you and I do believe that I don't sell to make money, right? I sell to stay involved. So I like it, number one, but number two, it's coaching scenarios and co- coaching topics for you, right? for you guys. and how how you can leverage what I'm doing, just like social media, all the social media stuff that's out there, is out there to establish your brand, you guys as a brand, right? Not Evan Russell. It's here to establish you guys. And I hope that you pattern that you take what we've done and you use it as your own. So you have to take these skills that, that we have and we can talk about more in depth and we have to talk about, for example, I think we wrote an offer, you know, last week or week before that we offered some $45,000 or something like that with the PNS deposit, right? We have to know why that's number one, not really how I won't say unacceptable. That's not really how it works. Number two, how that makes us look as clients. And number three, how that makes us look as agents, Right, and we have to understand the perception of an offer that comes in that way, right? So those are all scenarios that, that you know we learn through over time, but the only way you do it is to get your hands dirty, is to make the phone calls, send the emails, get on the Craigslist and reverse prospect, right? My man on the Cape here is going to close four rentals this week, four. You know where those rentals came from? He didn't get lucky. He hit up he hit up Craigslist just like he knows how to do has been doing it for the eight years we've been together. We've been friends together and working together. It's just getting out there and understanding what works and what doesn't work, all right? So from my perspective, I don't usually go down this path, but from my perspective, this business is hard. It's hard when you do it 100% of your life. It's even harder when you do it 50% of your life. It's even harder when you do it 12%. It's difficult. But it can be done, but it's difficult. Everybody will tell you it's difficult. You're dealing with people. You're dealing with large sums of money. You're dealing with transactions that have many hands involved, appraisers, lenders, attorneys, two attorneys, two brokers, blah, 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 right? Brokers' assistants, brokers' teammates, brokers' friends, you all kinds of stuff, you know, happening. It's tough. But I'm also going to tell you from my perspective and being away from it for a couple days, there's nothing more rewarding. There's nothing better. Than helping somebody close on a house There's nothing better than telling a seller They got the price they want There's nothing better than putting a deal together There's nothing better Than knowing that that you're going to successfully Reach the end of a particular journey or project Right? That's going to reward you It's going to reward them It's going to reward the co-broke It's going to reward you, the seller, the co-broke, and the buyer Right? Everybody is in it to win it Right? Everybody wants to close the deal Remember that so when you're talking to these difficult people, they wanna sell the house as much as you wanna buy it, believe me. Right? We just have to get you know understand that that we're dealing with all this stuff. In the case of, of myself, we're dealing with all this stuff. Sometimes we get snippy. Sometimes things don't come across the right way. Sometimes text messages and emails don't come the way they need to come. Right? But we gotta have thick skin and we gotta get through it. This business is the best there is. All my eggs, not even all my eggs in the basket. I've thrown out all the other eggs, got a new basket, and put all eggs back in this basket, right? So you got to, you got to, whatever. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed much longer today. Uh, I think I was at 27 minutes. So hope you guys found this helpful. Let me know. Shoot me a text if you like it. Uh, I'd love to get some feedback. Start getting some feedback from you guys. And uh, you got any questions, let me know. Football as well. Have a great day, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Handling Today's Consumers in Real Estate with your host, Evan Russell. To listen to a previous episode of our HTC podcast, you can visit EvanLive.com or find him in the iTunes Music Store.